At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome, investors, to the seventh edition of On Frontier Tech with Gene Munster. I'm Joel Alconan, along with the producer from Pre-Market Prop, Spencer Israel, and we are joined here by Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Gene, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Joel. Spencer, great to be back. Well, thanks for uh, crawling out from under your desk under this barrage of selling on Wall Street uh, to join us today. Uh, You cover issues uh, that are related to the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, that's the talk of talk of the town, talk uh, on TV, talk on Twitter, everywhere. Uh, Give us uh, give us your short and long term perspective um, on the coronavirus. Short term, there's just uh, no way to see how this plays out. And I think that uh, uh, near term investors should be concerned that this will continue to rattle the financial markets. Uh, If you just look at the trajectory of what happened in China and then as it is kind of uh, slowly working its way into other countries, uh, the China piece is stabilized, uh, slightly improving, but obviously other countries are, are not as fortunate. And so uh, our view is that I think uh, despite the, uh, the downward pressure in the market today, and I think we've entered now the correction phase, there is likely more downside uh, over the next uh, month, two months, hard to determine when that is. Uh, I suspect that... Um, I, uh, but as a point of reference, I'm I'm not an alarmist. Uh, I try to uh, uh, keep a a level-headed, uh, realistic approach here. But I think it's uh, I think the the uh, the approach that this is going to uh, we're going to see more of this in in more countries is probably the uh, correct expectation. And therefore, I think that you should uh, expect that the markets over the next month or two months will continue to be under pressure. You asked about the longer term, and that's a whole different topic, uh, and continue to feel that fundamentally nothing has changed. And you said you're not an alarmist. Of course, it's really hard to uh, not not come off as an alarmist while also talking about coronavirus, right? Because the more you talk about it, the more people hear about it. Um, what is your general sense? Like, do you feel like uh, the market or uh, 
or, or maybe even just the media or the general overall sentiment out there is, is, is too alarmist or not alarmist enough or, or like, what is your overall sense of that? Cause we, it, it's, it's talked about all the time. It's hard to not come off as alarmist when you're always discussing it. Yeah. And we're leading with it too. It is appropriately the A topic. Yeah. The answer is that um, I am uh, not a health expert. I, uh, the little that I do know is that uh, this seems uh, to be uh, a manageable outbreak, manageable in the context of, uh, well, it's tragic. It is uh, not something that is going to fundamentally kind of change the trajectory of the global economy. I think that um, the, the understandable topic, the fear around it is, is what is most important here when you think about the financial markets. And uh, so even though the science would suggest that this is uh, maybe as risky as a typical flu season, and it's just getting more attention, and maybe is, uh, 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 is hitting only certain demographics of people, certain age groups, uh, even though the science may suggest that, I think that the reality is uh, that this can be uh, lethal and uh, just the, the unknown of that is uh, what is uh, most important. And, uh, you know, one just kind of guiding principle of markets is they do not do well in uncertainty and they do well. And even in difficult uh, environments that have certainty around them, they tend to do well. And uh, this, of course, is by definition uncertain. Uh, and you mentioned you, you know, your your long term focus. Uh, this is sort of putting. This is this is a one of the things that people who are long term think about is when there are periods of volatility. Just don't take your eye off the horizon because that's where your focus is. And you're a long term guy, so when you look at a company like Apple, who warned about the current quarter. Um, you said it doesn't change a lot for you, right? It doesn't. I mean, if you take the step back and um, if you have the luxury and not all investors have this luxury to be able to weather some of these uh, likely downdrafts in the market still to come in uh, the months ahead, if you have that luxury and just take a step back and think about where our economy is going, where is uh, human behavior moving towards, I think if you look at a company like Apple, they're just right in that sweet spot. Uh, this company is uh, has long time been uh, discounted because of its hardware piece. But the reality is that their ability to bring hardware, software, and services seamlessly together better than any company um, is an important uh, factor, not just because of the demand today, but if you think about where we are going as a, as a globe, uh, the use of technology obviously is only going to increase. And there are some very obvious areas that will be more profoundly impacted that Apple will have an impact on. Uh, look at healthcare. Apple talks a lot about the watch and it's, uh, it's kind of at the forefront of their healthcare initiatives, but uh, they will have other products that will be hardware and software based that will impact awareness of healthcare. No longer do you have to go to the doctor to get uh, a view once a year of how your health is. You can get them more real time, monthly, daily, unfortunately, hourly, if you would like. And uh, I think that those opportunities, also another a large addressable market that Apple will have some uh, play in it, uh, difficult to determine what it is, but it's just around the future of mobility and how they'll use AI to 
empower that potentially some hardware, working with other car companies, maybe doing something themselves, still too early to determine what that is. But this is kind of our guiding long-term principle, Spencer, is just to say where we step back outside of the noise, which is understandable today, and say, where is humanity going? I think it's safe to say that uh, those two areas specifically around healthcare and mobility are going to be some of the most profound changes in how humans engage with tech and apples that uh, probably has one of the best seats to capitalize on that. So uh, macroeconomic force is not withstanding. Uh, what is the biggest catalyst for Apple this year? Is it the, the focus on healthcare or is it still the iPhone or something else? There's a couple this year is uh, this maybe lower priced phone, this uh, new SE. Um, if they do come out with a phone that starts around $400, that would be a big deal. A new phone at $400, their current lowest price phone is a 32 gig iPhone 8 that starts at 450. And so to have a new phone, a new chip uh, that is uh, instead of kind of a discounted old phone, a new phone that is uh, priced at that $400 mark, which is kind of what some of the expectations are, that could be a big deal. This is something that could account for uh, uh, 10, 15%, uh, maybe even higher in terms of total units. And so I think that's largely misunderstood. And what gets lost in this is this combination of bringing all these hardware, software, and services together has historically been limited to people who have more money. Um, Apple's average iPhone sells for, uh, they don't break it out anymore, but we can back into it, call it $775. The average smartphone globally sells for around $250. So there's a, a massive opportunity to bring a new phone to the to, uh, markets that they historically have not done well in. That's one piece to it. The second is just anticipation. We talked about the impact of uh, uh, the coronavirus and how people are viewing uh, the uncertainty, but there's also, this can work to the advantage of, of companies when you go into large addressable markets. And in the case of at the end of this year, when they come out with a 5G iPhone, uh, that is going to be a three-year upgrade cycle. This is going to be the most significant ups, upgrade cycle since 2014. Uh, as I said, w- typical upgrade cycle lasts two years. This will be three years. And I think you will see multiple expansion, um, you know, in the years to come related to the 5G uh, iPhone upgrade opportunity. Um, This is just not specific to Apple, but this is specific to all tech companies. And the main thing here is supply chain issues uh, for the tech companies. Uh, The products are still there, but the making of the products. From what you see right now, the disruptions that we're having, Apple's already warned for Q2, and I know I'm trying to look a little bit forward here, but do you see other companies, but you know, besides Apple, are running into some serious supply chain issues? There definitely will be other ones. Uh, The list of, uh, I'm going to step aside most of your question here, Joel, and and say that there's, Apple has a pretty uh, lengthy supply chain. They put it on their website. There's 33 pages of uh, the vendors that they work with. I don't know how many total vendors, but the ones that are based in China are the ones that have uh, more risk. But I think that that, uh, you know, the impact on this could also, and will uh, also expand beyond that. The other obvious one is what's going to happen with Tesla. And uh, there is growing expectations around what their production in China is going to mean. This will be the first year that they're doing that uh, to the overall uh, units to demand. But that's another one. If you just think about U.S. tech companies that have some clear exposure 
to China. Apple is first and foremost, and I would put uh, Tesla as the the second uh, the second one that has maybe some a little bit more outsized exposure. Not because of the current run rate, because of the growth piece. You really need China to start to production to ramp, and it's uh, unclear to me, at least, how that has been uh, uh, proceeding over the last month. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, one stock me and you have gone back and forth on for years. And I was, I was right for a long time, but don't mess with Gene. You were right. The long run here uh, with Tesla Motors. I think finally exploded. Even when the market was coming down here, I believe we hit uh, 968.99. Everyone was looking for four digits in the stock. Boom, you know, here we are. We're down 66 bucks today. I believe we're still above the offering price here. Uh, let's just call it $700 in your opinion, Gene. Uh, overvalued, undervalued, or correctly valued? I think there's still room to go here. And I, it's worth uh, mentioning this is still a, an emotionally charged stock. And the reason why that's relevant here is that uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of movement. Uh, I think there will be some uh, potentially massive downdrafts in the stock. I could see it at, at a certain period being down $200, for example. Uh, but then I could see it uh, coming back and being up $400 over uh, a short period too. And so um, I think that uh, uh, this concept of uh, you know getting it right, getting it wrong, I think that really ultimately we haven't uh, fully determine that yet, and time mm-hmm. will tell. Uh, I'm in the camp that um, that that this does have room for. Let me just give you some context around that. Is that um, Tesla's current market cap is called 130 billion dollars. Now, the way we value companies has uh, been changed over the last couple of weeks because of the coronavirus. But if you make the assumption, which is uh, potentially a, a dangerous assumption, that we will return back to some sort of um, uh, previous thinking in terms of multiples is that a combination of hardware, software, and services company, uh, we use Apple as the benchmark of what it trades on a revenue multiple. And Tesla's a similar type of business. They make a car, but it really is hardware, software, and services. If you look at that uh, as a comp, that's four and a half times revenue. And you look at the general growth of EVs and uh, what their uh, market share is within that, I think you can build a case that in 2022, so this is three years away, that Tesla will have about $55 billion in revenue. And you apply that four and a half times revenue multiple, you get to a market cap of just under $250 billion, about double where it's at today. So I think that there is, uh, uh, there's definitely room to go up. We, we, uh, it really ultimately begs the question of uh, who's going to win in electrification. And uh, we think about pockets where EV or autonomy is, is like there could be some resistance to it. And one pocket that we have traditionally thought of is um, people who are uh, really believers in the, the old way of doing things. I think of uh, like construction professionals, for example, and, and their pickup trucks. When uh, Tesla announced their new uh, Cybertruck in, back in November, we had a headline that the, it missed the mark and the mark being the, the typical pickup truck buyer. Uh, we recently did had conversations with 22 construction professionals in the Midwest, and uh, we need to amend our view that I do not believe, I now believe that Tesla actually hit the mark around electrification. This is an important part of uh, the Tesla story is that of those 22, five of them said that, they're, uh, uh, that they will 
uh, their next vehicle will be a Cybertruck. And uh, just over half of them said that they believe that they'll have an electric uh, truck within the next 10 years. And why that's important is that if you believe that uh, electrification and ultimately autonomy is the future, you have to find ways to play that. And uh, I think that Tesla, despite its massive run-up and lack of profitability, still sits at the pole position of what will be some uh, massive markets around electrification uh, and autonomy and ultimately renewable energy. And so um, putting it together, Joel, I'm still uh, optimistic that there's room for upside to Tesla. What, uh, what, what's your current price target? Well, we don't, uh, we try to think about this thematically in terms of market caps. And so, you know, we're thinking generally that this can be a $250 billion market cap. It would be about double where it's at today. But did you say something about the mid-900s or something a while ago? I we thought did, you did. Yeah, we yeah, did. We you... talked about, um, <laughs> yeah, we did talk about uh, a $900 um, uh, piece. I think the big difference there, what has evolved is our view on the timing of EVs, I think will quicken, which has changed what we think is the growth rate for the next okay. couple of years. And so, you know, just to, if you wanted to, to get just a general sense, I mean, we're talking about a uh, $1,300, $1,400 price to, uh, to get to that $250 billion market cap. Um, it is a higher number. And I'm always reluctant to uh, respond when a stock has a surge with a moving up the price target in response to what happened with the stock. I think you need to just stick to the fundamentals. And I think the fundamentals as we view where electrification is that we're more optimistic about it today than we were two months ago. Yeah, I thought I heard that and I know when it was trading lower. So I just was trying to give credit when credit's due. Appreciate that. So uh, Gene, uh, one more on, on this Tesla thing. So your view is more of a fundamental uh, positive view on the industry and the belief that Tesla is best positioned to capture and 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 really be the dominant player in that industry because the fundamentals of Tesla are not particularly strong like as a company but your your view is that the industry will grow and Tesla is the is the clear leader. Yes, I think you, uh, maybe on that point, Spencer, is that. Um, even people who are more negative on Tesla would probably agree that the future is electrification. Uh, that wasn't necessarily the debate two years ago. I think there was still a debate about how internal combustion engines play in this, but I think that even the people who are more skeptical are in that camp. I think that there's uh, maybe a less belief in that camp about the importance of autonomy and what the revenue opportunity is around that. But you, you said something, uh, an important piece I just want to, elaborate on it is like Tesla's ability to capitalize on that. That, that is to me, despite what's going on with some of their financials, despite the shortcomings, uh, and they are vast with the company. I think that ultimately they have three advantages around tech manufacturing or two advantages around tech and manufacturing that will ultimately lead to a long-term advantage around profitability. And this is the piece where we hit a fork in the road between the believers and those who are more skeptical. And, um, I'm of, the, of the, the, the view that their tech, uh, the hardware and software that they've built is difficult to replicate. That even though other car manufacturers are making progress around electrification EVs, the vehicles that they're producing, uh, whether it's through the talent that they have to create those vehicles or the way that they produce them or procure materials for that, 
they're just too expensive relative to the um, uh, where, where a Tesla's at. In other words, you get more for your money for a Tesla. I think that uh, that is not an emotional statement. I think if you just look at the, the specs around a car, you might not the look, like the look of a Tesla, but you get more in terms of battery life uh, and performance, which are two important pieces, especially battery life. Um, so my view is that uh, if you're going to really boil it down to, I think traditional auto is in a tighter spot than people realize. And ultimately, I think that that is going to give Tesla more room to really put the hammer down in the next few years to be one of the biggest winners within this, this future. Okay, moving on to uh, our second to last question here. Uh, with everything that's going on, we're, we're in an election year. And uh, been a lot of talk about, you know, tech companies and, you know, the uh, regulations and stuff. Can you just talk a little bit about looking at the, uh, the election, both candidates uh, relative to large cap? I, I think we are still going to enter a phase where after the election, regardless of who's in, that there's going to be still greater scrutiny uh, on tech companies. And, you know, I, I am uh, uh, going to reserve any sort of political views here and okay. say that, uh, that the bias is probably or that maybe the, the odds makers would say that current administration stays in. In, in that case, you have... Uh, maybe a slightly less risk of any sort of uh, uh, government action around uh, moderating some of the big tech companies. And if it goes the different direction, there's, there's more risk. Either way, it's still something that is going to be topical. And uh, I think that uh, if you look at which companies, then you have to beg the question of which companies are at most risk around that. And I think the obvious one is around Facebook. I think uh, Google to a lesser extent and probably Amazon uh, would be third in that, that camp. And so this to me is one of those topics that has not gotten much attention over the last few months um, because the stocks have been doing well. And I think candidates have been more focused on other uh, topics beyond big tech, but uh, undoubtedly um, this will be uh, a topic that will resurface and hard to judge, hard for me to judge. It's similar to the coronavirus, whether or not anything will actually happen. And, but that to me is a, the secondary question. The primary question is, is this going to get more headlines uh, post-election? And I suspect that it will. Okay, one smaller stock that I've been following with you and this kind of along the lines of Tesla, electrification, batteries, uh, Livid Corp. Uh, made a nice little bump over $12, kind of falling back here uh, with the rest of the market. I just uh, just wanted to get your, your long-term view on Live at Corp. I still think this is a good investment. I still believe that um, there is a natural resource play around lithium, and I think Live is one of the best uh, miners of that, uh, best companies that is uh, supplying lithium. And I, I think about this this view about uh, the future of electrification, and we can debate whether it's Tesla or General Motors is going to be the winner within it. Uh, I think that it's safe to say that uh, the Earth has has varying degrees of, of uh, precious metals. Um, I think lithium is one that is uh, at least going to be for the next ten years uh, one of the more important metals. And I think that having the, a U.S.-based company, they do their mining outside of the U.S., but a U.S.-based company 
and some of the compliance and, and rigor around the financials that that company brings, uh, I still think that this is a, a great play within that future of electrification. We've been on the line with Gene Munster, founder of Loop Ventures, the seventh edition of On Frontier Tech. Gene, thanks so much for your time and for your comments, and uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Bye for now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.